This is American Cycle, a podcast featuring Larry Beckett's live performances of his poetry. Beckett's poems have been collected in the book American Cycle, which Simon Warner described as magnificent in scale and epic in scope. Inspired by our folklore and past, American Cycle is available now from Running Wild Press. This episode of American Cycle features Beckett performing the fourth section of Paul Bunyan before an audience in an artist's studio in 1984. Now, here's Jonah Raskin, author of American Scream, Allen Ginsberg's Howl, and the making of the Beat Generation to introduce the piece. Paul Bunyan was a big man. Babe, his blue ox, a big beast. Not surprisingly, they animate a big chunk of Larry Beckett's epic poem, American Cycle. Bunyan, the king of the lumberjacks, along with Babe, his near constant companion, appear in the third section of Beckett's book. The chapter, Old California, precedes them. Old Henry follows. Beckett's Bunyan is a superhero whom I revered as a boy long before the superheroes of the celluloid age. Larger than life, he comes out of the wilderness, wields his axe like a precision tool, assembles a wild crew, tackles the timber, moves west, brawls and hauls, and becomes a mighty wordsmith who gives birth to his own legend. No wonder he proclaims, I'm in the United States, working. Beckett takes Bunyan and his blue ox all the way to the redwoods of California, and along the way reinvents him for the 21st century. B.A. Botkin, who chronicled Paul's bodacious adventures in a treasury of American folklore, would hoop and holler. So would Walt Whitman and Mark Twain, those two bards of the frontier. Timber, Beckett, timber. And now, here's Larry Beckett. Paul Bunyan, four. Paul Bunyan roused and backslapped his solid work gang. Big Swede barked out the show like a circus ringmaster. Johnny Inkslinger spelled it all out in the big book and the camp track to Saginaw country, Michigan. Out on the grizzly and snow-stacked Titabawasi, they split timber and piled the rollways up to the sky, old Paul now logging elbow to elbow with his boys. Yeah, but spring staggered in with an air of trouble. Come April, the boys were standing out on the old manistee, and when the ice shivered, the tail-down men broke rollways, jabbing their camp hooks, shoving the saw logs in the river, and the water rats followed, tramping down gig trails along the frosty shore and riding on rafts and booms, kicking out the jams, tangling with the skookum chuck, waterfalls, whirlpools, narrows, tide rips, never stills. The slew pigs at the tail end of the misty parade, whirling swing dogs, yopping, laid back, sacking the rear, rolling the draggers and strays in the almighty water and nobody but was two hoots from a timber wolf. All of a sudden, without a howdy-do, scads of mosquitoes with 16-foot wing spreads dove down out of nowhere, <laughs> straddled the creek, and started shanghaiing lumberjacks. 
One old strong-arm logger fought free of the varmints and slooped straight out of the blue. Falling so far, the dang bluebirds built a nest on his windy head and hatched their daughters and sons before he hit home. Old Paul saw the whole gallinipper sneak attack, and he shuttled Brimstone Bill the bullwhacker south on a hot pony and at full pay for the Pecos River to round up fighting Texas bumblebees, big and pronto. Bill rode across the Oklahoma flat so all honking fast he saw the gosh darn wind. He riled up the hives good was a star on a whip-crack rodeo and drove the swarm back from Texas to Michigan without losing a bee. The ugly push flies with their hot heads and ring tails slammed into the mosquitoes under a scab-red sun, whacking their wings like wet buzzards and squirting fire. But after a dogfight, the insect mobs fixed it up and went in cahoots, cranking out a bunch of crossbreeds. <laughs> the mosquitoes with stingers at both the front and back and just a monstropolis fancy for hook tender's oxen. They were death on ox snatching. They'd corner an ox in the corral, fly up to it with a sling of leather and buzz under, spin a bow knot, tighten the loop, and good night, Irene. <laughs> Old Paul had holed up his herd in a skeeter-proof cave when the mosquitoes roared back and hit that rock whining, working down like steam drills, dropping a shaft to the ox cave, shooting up lightning. The mosquitoes were two rods deep in North Country Rock when the loggers saw them jam up against a quartz vein and hold up to point their stingers. The nearest sandstone was clear in Minnesota, and so Paul had time to tick. He dragged out an old kitchen boiler, stuck an ox in it, scrunched on in with big old the blacksmith, and grinned. The mosquitoes swooped up and got a whiff of the ox, whizzed a spell in the air, and zoomed in on a beeline. As soon as a stinger drilled through, old Paul and Big Old banged it over with their ten-pound sledges like carpenters clenching nails, till the whole mob was hooked to the iron. <laughs> the boiler rocked and rose as the ox rustlers took off, and quick Paul and the blacksmith jumped Geronimo with the ox in their arms. The mosquitoes flapped away and were never seen again, especially by greenhorns. <laughs> To loosen up and just dawdle after the carryings on, old Paul shouldered his pine butt straight barrel flintlock and hiked on out to hunt in the freezing Michigan woods. Just a spit and a holler out of camp, he got a flash of an actual gumbaroo looking for burned out woods with a pumpkin head and a pot belly like a stove, ape arms and crazy legs sticking out round its waist. It'd heave itself off a slope and roll down sideways, squeaking like a pulley, and scared of nothing but fire because if it ever rubbed up against a flame, kerblam. <laughs> it minded him of when he sighted a whirling wimpus, which was a scraggly bastard as big as a rain barrel with its plow horse legs all grown together at the fetlock into one hoof and skinny arms which were so long it steadied itself by propping on its palms. If a man was dumb enough to sidle up next to a wimpus, it would cakewalk and whirligig like a wino on ice. A crack from the whirling fists would cream the guy, and the whirling wimpus would lick him up like pudding. 
He thought of his staring contest with a flock of hug eggs, which stood 13 feet high and weighed in at three tons, with mud balls instead of heads and warts on their snouts, gunny sacks for ears, pine needle coats, and big flat feet. The hug eggs go grazing in herds on pitch and sweat, and, and when it's time for shut-eye, since they have no knees and can't flop down, the herd faces northwest by the moon and sags against the trees, which, under three-ton pressure, begin to slant after a couple of nights. In American woods, a stretch of timber all tilting one way is a sure sign hug eggs have been sleeping. <laughs> Just <laughs> for the heck of it, Bunyan figured out how to go about catching a hug egg. It'd be simple to pick one of these uh, skew-jaw trees and saw it halfway. The, the idea is when a hug egg went to lean back for the old siesta, the trunk would rip and the hug egg go down and without knees, stay down. Now, Paul wasn't out for lop-eared gazooks and such like. And so he aimed his heart and gun sight at a flight of 212 wild ducks skidding in pattern. But why blow a slug on each and every nothing duck in the sky? It was just plain wasteful, period. So he tied a ball of twine to a bullet, loaded his rifle and yawned, and when the ducks were lined up, he fired. The twine went flying, the bullet harpooned all 212, and he tugged them back to camp like trout on a thread. On his second outing, he went on the prowl for partridge and, arguing like before, that one shot ought to be plenty. At last, he spotted 320 partridges, all pluming and twittering on a white spruce bough. And he crouched, sighting longwise down the pretty branch, waiting for a bear to come bumbling and puffing along. And when a big black bear wobbled up, old Paul squeezed, the bullet went sparkling through the bear, split the limb. The partridge's feet dropped down in the sudden crack. The crack sprung shut, pinching all the birds to the bow, which broke off with a bang, tumbled in the air, and clouded a burly deer in back of a juniper bush. Wild honey poured out of the rip in the spruce. The deer kicked and slugged a fat bug ra buck rabbit up smack into Paul's forehead. Paul teetered and flopped in the creek, and wading out with his pockets full of fish, he headed back to camp, <laughs> bringing in his haul with a single bullet a black bear, 320 partridges, a buck rabbit, a good-looking eight-point deer, a passel of catfish, and two rolling hundred-gallon barrels of wild honey. <laughs> On his third tramp, Bunyan was loaded for red-eye, the ugly bull moose who was tall as Suicide Hill, with famous eyes like railroad lanterns and great horns. He brought a bullet and an ox wagon full of popcorn, uh, which was his favorite snack when it was salty and buttered. And deep in a pole thicket, a couple of rattlesnakes coiling, clicking, flickered out at his boot. He sneered and, twiddling his whiskers, hitched their heads together, and inch by inch the sidewinders swallowed each other down to the rattles and disappeared like abracadabra. On a high cliff yonder, Red Eye was munching the grass as fat as a December bear and bored with hunters. The trick was how to blow it down without knocking the moose, which was nobody's fool, off of the cliff. And so old Paul sniffed and combobulated a moment, 
And when an idea lit up like morning in his attic, he nodded, diving into the popcorn for energy, chewing with a clatter as loud as a Kentucky free-for-all and whisking it in so fast his hands were all blurry. The wind off his fingers jerked trees out by the roots, and the country acres around was drifted a foot deep in popcorn scraps. And all the quill pigs and swishtails, when they saw the ground white and the sky full of flakes, figured they were out in a snowstorm and froze. <laughs> With his smoke pole reared, the butt cradled in his shoulder, old Paul grunted, I aim to let fly and massacre you between the eyes, not get ready for circumbustification. He drew a bead, laid off breathing, and let her blaze. And he lit out lickety-split for the moose, skedaddling quick as a boy and girl get naked under honeymoon, hustling up there to grab old red-eye before he fell. So breathtaking fast he'd just touch a foot down now and again to steer. Red-faced like he was stealing home on a wild ball in a level game in the last inning, two away with a full count on a cross-eyed rookie. But it was crazy. He ran just a suspicion too fast and showed up at the moose before his own damn bullet. He was chortling at this when it was time to duck as the shot went zinging over his hat and it missed between the antlers. But Red Eye was already stiff. The varmint had recognized old Paul and died of shock. <laughs> While he was slogging the miles home with a new smile, Paul Bunyan made chin music to keep him company. Bunch up the Dixie swamps and the Bible Belt prairies, the holy down east farms and the wild west beaches. Throw in the cities with their shows and skid row queens and all the streamers in this checkerboard of states. Wrap them in great plain clouds and tie it with old muddy. And like a dime firecracker next to the Milky Way where the 4th of July will spin till half past always. The whole shebang is beat out by the northern woods. Now that the snow's thawing and jazzing up the creeks and the mid-morning moon's a white rack in the sky, the springs boom and improvise the reedy sloughs and wake up the lakes, whose style is to double in water three seasons of the tough poles and the swank forest. The long grasses hang on and mob out of the mud under the green snarl of wild holly and huckleberry and up with the looting blue jays and whiskey jacks, in the tight bark whose calligraphy nobody can read, the old evergreen timber muscles toward the light. I hike the northern woods with a kick in my sally. I soak up the world like it was high-balling away. And once I snort the backwoods air into my pipes, my eyes ignite and my toes curl. I cock my elbows because I'm so slap-happy, and I arch my back and yowl like a lean coyote with all the stars in his head. The animals may be a touch on the rampageous side, but I can manhandle anything with bones. Yeah, I can buck dance with a wildcat and laugh him down. I can snuff a timber wolf with a couple of blue words. I'll wrestle Mrs. Nature three falls out of three and stake my ox and all that I come up immortal and still steamed up with love for the curve of the earth. I declare, fire infection in Yankees only slow her up, and she's handsome as a keg of beer in a heat wave. The pitch climbs in the pines, 
and my sap jumps in me. I feel so gully-whumping good when I look out on a northern morning and see the pine cones bulge on the branches and the daylight lean against the trees. When Paul got back to his choppers, he was full of bang, and the logging was too slow motion to please his pulse, and he whistled like he was mad and staggered them up. What kind of a one-dollar chicken shit outfit is this, you jerk-water, slow-poke, wishy-washy, deadhead, flat-beer, pussy-footing, lollygagging, drag-ass punks? I turn my back to spit and whiz, and you guys peter out. I'm sorry to crack up your gingerbread dreams, ladies, but when I said to saw a log, that didn't mean snore. You bunch of whittlers are useful as a one-legged man at a kicking match. I want to see Swedish steam spout out of your temples. Get dirty. Give her snooze. I catch a man boondoggling, and I'll eat him for lunch. Wade in and knock it down. Show the jungle you're alive. Paul picked out the top loggers in the Saginaw camp, Red Jack, Rocky Dan, Pump Handle Joe, Slabwood Johnson, Billy the Bum, Cedar Root Charlie, and Roaring Jim. Called them the Seven Axemen, swapped their axe handles for iron chains, and let them swing their double-bit heads like sodbusters in August out mowing the South 40. It was still too slow. So Paul invented the two-man saw and worked it with Big Swede. Its blade was around a mile, and it swiped an acre at a whack. In the rough country, it skimmed hills and ridges. It skipped gorges and flumes. But the two champions bulldozed whole counties anyhow. While they were hitching up the load to Babe the Blue Ox, the clouds curdled and dumped down a goose-drowning rain. And when Babe, strong as a bullwhacker, pulled homeward, the wet leather harness under the strain of tons stretched out like gossip on the general store porch. <laughs> when they rolled into camp, Paul discovered the harness running clear out to the skyline and the load beyond, and he wheezed and chuckled till the sun came out. The buckskin shriveled and the lumber chugged to his feet. The rainwater had spilled so awful hard in the downpour, the rain barrel which held 989 barrels, 28 gallons, one quart, one half pint, one gill, and three tablespoons minus eight drops. <laughs> Filled 13 feet and 10 inches over the top. Old Houghton Lake overflowed and the Muskegon River ran too fast to sip from it. The boys were scared the current might rip off their heads. Opal rounded up the river rats and the boom pokes and started the drive yelling tips from the book of snags. But as soon as the wood was wet, they hit a log jam with a big pole stuck and a whole stack up behind it. And if a monkey were to shin up the jackpot to free it, he'd be sure to be crunched before he could say scat. Now, planting the blue ox down river in front of the jam, old, Pyre, old Paul fired his, off his shotgun, aiming to tickle Babe's ass with buckshot till his tail twirled like a screw in the water, which washed it backwards and untangled the rack heap. Bunyan and his river hogs with their peavies in their fists steadied out on the timber and barreled down the flood on the back of the logs heading for a far-off sawmill. After sailing for a spell, Paul called to Roaring Jim, Hey, check out the lumber camp on your South Paw bank. I could have sworn we were lonesome in Michigan, Jim. You ever catch word of a logging gang up against us? Roaring Jim squinted at the pine shanties and said, 
No, man, I, I ain't heard a hoot about any competition, but it sure as eggs looks like we've bumped into it. It's too bad, but we're floating by too fast to ask them. Old Paul yanked his slouch hat down to his boiling ears and took a bite of his squirting tobacco, spiked his log, and snarled at the white water as they all coasted by the tingling spruce groves on the lookout for boulders. When they burbled round a long crescent in the river, Paul stiffened up like a scarecrow in a frost and shouted, Okay, Roaring Jim, I'm about to go nuts. Why don't you cock your eyes to the left and sing out what you see? Roaring Jim rubbed his eyes, stooped down, and looked out. Say I'm all wet, but it's another camp. Yeah, this one is slightly bigger. But hold on to your petticoats. Am I slipping, or is that camp kind of familiar? Old Paul sneezed and answered, I don't know, Roaring Jim. All I know is this country's getting traced too crowded. I see another lumber camp. I'm going to get curious. He leaned out, looking alive. It gave him butterflies in his stomach and a shooting star in his idea box. But he just drove on through the haze, boosting up his boys, tending out and sticking to his skill and his hunches. The sing-song water was making him drowsy and timeless as he rode on its skin and rippled around a slow curve when he jolted and stared at a big money lumber camp on his left hand, and he hollered, All right, damn it! All hands and the cook and the woodpeckers ashore. The river rats steered over to the bank and Bunyan said, Ain't this a beauty? We're back at our camp. If you boys imagine we're going ahead, you've been stung by creation. Oh, we're not too swift this morning. We're on a round river. We can paddle from now to Christmas. We're going nowhere and it'll be the same hawk, blackberry bush, and lumber camp in the Great Lakes country sun after 10,000 years. This creek has no spring and no bay. It circled back and turned us into tourists, I swear to Yankee Doodle. <laughs> Paul was about to take a tall shovel and cut a canal slapdash to the lake from the make-believe backwater, but he saw that the round river was a wonder for hogs. And so, hauling the timber overland to the Muskegon, old Paul launched the whole lollapaloozing drive again. He was so star-spangled exultant at the big finish, he celebrated the fact by dreaming up water-walking. He broad-jumped way out to a long log in mid-river and rolled it with his stride till the water creamed. He stomped like a turkey, and while he burled, he bragged, Whoopee! I'm long-legged, I'm rambunctious, I'm ripe, I'm all bouncy, I'm the spotted horse nobody can ride. Yeah, I waddle like an ox and I crow like a cyclone. I punch like a landslide and I fuck like a hummingbird. I'd walk ten miles in a good hurricane for a fight. I've got the guts of a God Almighty freight train and the brains of an almanac. Oh, I'm an easy hobo. I can take a bite out of the sun and spit light. I can strut till a buffalo blushes, and I'll scream you. Look out, boys, I'm freewheeling and I'm on the loose. And he hoofed it so strong that when the river rumpled, he walked ashore on the bubbles, cut a gig trail, and skipped back to the log before the bubbles broke. <laughs> The performance you just heard was Larry Beckett reading live the fourth section of his long poem, Paul Bunyan, 
Paul Bunyan is one of the 10 long poems in Beckett's American Cycle. Join us in the next episode when Beckett will perform Wyatt Earp. American Cycle by Larry Beckett is available now from Running Wild Press. To learn more, visit AmericanCycle.us. Thanks to Jonah Raskin for introducing this episode. The theme song to this podcast is excerpted from Michael Christfield Winkler's performance of the Charles Ives composition, Variations on America, Variation 5, Allegro. Allegro.